Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio Podcast is back for our second season. Bigger and better than ever. Seriously, though, this ish is huge. I'm your host, T-Pain. Every Tuesday, join me and my guest and my co-host for action-packed, hilarious, inspirational conversation. That's right. We're doing T-Pain Tuesday. We got the biggest guests, new drinks, new games, and crazy studio vibes. You already know what it is, and here's Nappy Boy Radio, baby. Listen and subscribe to T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio podcast. Season 2 is available now everywhere you get your podcast. You already know what it is. Come on through. Hey guys, today on CarCast, we got my friend Aaron Hagar coming back onto the show. He's going to give us a little update on overlanding, his build for that, and then we're going to get into what's going on with my Mustang Mach 1. But before we get started, here's Geico. Do you own, do you rent your home? Sure you do. And it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling your policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you have so much to do already around your home. Why not make it easy? Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see just how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Hello, welcome to CarCast. I'm Matt, the moderator, D'Andrea, and we're mixing things up today, as you can hear. <laughs> we have uh, Aaron Hagar joining me today. Uh, Bill is Bill's jammed up with trying to get cars into his garage that he's been building, and I'm sure Literally, he's, he's traffic jammed up. He really is, yeah. So uh, I, I'm sure you'll see some of his updates on on Goldberg's Garage Instagram. We'll we'll get into it next week. Uh, but, you know, his cars have been in storage for like three years and he's been building this garage. And the, as he had mentioned before, you know, he's got this big cement slab that the garage is built on, but nothing around it. So there's there's no like asphalt or anything to drive up onto to get into the garage. And it, and it has like a three inch lip. You know, it's like a very thick cement slab. So they're and not all the cars, I think, run under their own power. So he's got trucks and trailers and friends and they're trying to get these things into the garage and get it done because i know he's got to be out of his storage unit real quick i don't think he kind of uh, thought that far ahead like how long this was going to take but uh i'm sure he'll uh fill us in on on all of the uh all the excitement that uh, is <laughs> happening I, I know he's going to be stressed today but next week he's going to be feeling more comfortable because all the cars will be there it'll be done but um uh, i'm excited it's like to have cars again yeah well, they've he, been gone that long, and and, you, and it's tough to like visit them, like when they're offsite, miles away, in in storage units and like individual storage units, like garage, 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 garage. Oh wow! It's you know like like a U-Haul storage unit facility. It's just like a line of garages that nobody knew all these cars were in there. So it's not like they're in some other big warehouse that you can walk around or even take a tour. You know, so it's a it's a little bit little bit different. Environment. So if he's had. If he's had each car in individual storage loggers at like a U-Haul storage, yeah, he has eaten up all of his profit and value in between purchase <laughs> and, and basically paying paying those ridiculous fees. Hopefully, he owns a building. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, I, a, a friend of his owns the storage complex, oh, okay. and and, I, and I'm sure they they work something out. I'm sure they work something yeah. out because uh, he did well, mention it has been very good for him. <laughs> I, I see you wearing your SeaTac shirt, and that's interesting because yes, he's going to have to line up a whole bunch of those things. Actually, we haven't talked about that because I, I think they did plan ahead. He's got the cars are going to be situated in a few different areas in the garage, but he has um, like a three by three lift, so six cars stack three on the ground and then three above it on a three wide bend pack lift, and I'm guessing. They brought in power to that area for enough outlets to run a bunch of, of, of battery tenders. But they're they're pretty low draw. Those battery tenders barely pull any power when they're all in maintenance mode. So yeah. it's not like you couldn't daisy chain a few of those things into some outlets and make it work. Yeah, yeah, and 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 especially you know things like SeaTech and stuff. They have 
they have mounts on the back and they have clips that you can buy for them. So they mount vertically on the wall and you can really organize them nicely. They're, they're, they're great units. I've, uh, I've, I've found some mysterious draw in my Defender and the battery goes low within a few days and I just put a new Optima battery in it. So it, it's, uh, we were gone for a week and it, it was giving me an, an engine failure note because, uh, or, or light because it's, <clears throat> it's starving for power. So I got to keep that thing plugged in. I'm telling you, man, the cold kills stuff. I, my power steering pump is spewing power, very expensive power steering fluid. And, uh, it, it, it's like, it's been nine, it's getting nine, it could be nine degrees tonight. You know, it's like, come on, man. Yeah. Move. <laughs> yeah. Lake Tahoe. Well, you know, it's funny because we talk about that all the time. We always joke that you should move every time it gets cold. We're like, you should move. Ugh. And then it gets warm again. And then you're like, I don't want to move all I this know. shit. There's so much stuff. Oh. <laughs> I'll tell you, I, I feel for Goldberg because I, I don't know what I'm down to now, but I've gotten rid of a dozen things or so, but uh, I'm I'm still probably that or more. And, uh, the and that's idea- just the cars. Look behind you in your office. <laughs> yeah, I know that the idea of moving the shop or my book collection yeah. uh, or our home is just, I can't even imagine. I mean, I stress out, you know, have, look, I'm uh, see, see that receding line right there. That, that, <laughs> that was because I considered it last week. <laughs> <laughs> that all happened in this conversation alone. Um, uh, Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the Defender for for those of you guys that are are new to Aaron. Although he's been on the show before, um, Aaron and I host uh, the other podcast, Shift and Steer, with Brad Fanshaw. And uh, Aaron's is been working on some overlanding projects, his Jeep and his Defender. Uh, both, I think, are slated for a big trip. Next yeah. Year, right. It was going to be one and now it's going to be two. Um, you can give us a little <laughs> overview of that. And I saw some of your posts at Aaron Hagar on uh, Instagram, uh, the video for the Defender. We've been talking about it for a while on on Shift and Steer. But uh, why don't you give us a little overview? Because you tell us about the trip and then tell us about the, the Defender. I know you got the Jeep as well, but... Uh, sure, sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm building out a Gladiator Mojave, uh, which already had everything I wanted done. I didn't want to mess with suspension. And I, 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 I sold my little race car and I bought a Alucab um, Caniper camp, uh, Camper, which is that big... It's like a cab over that goes on the back of the truck, right? So, mm-hmm. so we're doing that. And then uh, I've had an Icarus rooftop for my Defender 110, which is a vintage Defender 110 with a roll cage. It's, it's a... It's, it's a titled NAS, a 93, a 110. And uh, if you go online and, and watch all these Overland builds and everybody's got these defenders and they're doing amazing stuff. And a lot of them complain and say, God, you know, I wish I love the roll cage because it's safety. And but you can't put the roof on it because you actually have to remove the roof, which means the top of the roll cage interferes. The side interferes uh, with the new roof because it pops up so you can stand up inside the vehicle. Um, so I've had a bug in my butt about this thing for I don't know, a couple decades. And I finally got one of these rigs uh, about four years ago. And uh, I bought an Icarus top about two years ago and have been sitting on it, <clears throat> building up my bravery. And uh, finally, one day, the bug the bug came out, reared its head, and I cut the roof, cut the roll cage, removed the roof, put on the Icarus, uh, reprofiled the roll cage to kind of meet up with the body lines, uh, kept as much of it intact as I could, and I now have a 93 NAS 110 with an Icarus rooftop uh, camper system, uh, sleep system. And it's the only one in the world that I know of. So the roll cage on that is inside the vehicle and then outside the vehicle as well. And inside the vehicle, yeah. it has some crossbars, which is the rollover protection. Mm-hmm. And then outside of the vehicle, I, I guess it kind of went around the roof area and sort of acted as a a big mounting point a tie down for roof stuff right exactly so so one of the big challenges like a basket like a giant basket yes, on the roof uh, an exo cage is often yeah. what we call it so so with the defenders um and many vehicles for that matter you know it, your roof load is really limited and uh especially if you're working you know land rovers are aluminum they're very thin skin they have a little bit of steel in the body and and in the and in, in the pillars and and the, and the belt line but most of it is all aluminum <clears throat> So when they roll over, they tend to just fold. And uh, and so the safety cage uh, made by safety systems is really, really a game changer for safety. 
and uh, and especially when you're off-roading them. And so you really don't want to mess with it. Now, I'm no engineer. I pro- probably took some rollover structure out of it. But my argument is that the, uh, the IUCAB is so well built and the whole framework in it is boxed that it mounts to those steel uprights and there's steel clearance on that main uh, uh, roll hoop above your head, uh, which would have connected to the top um, through the body. And most of that's still intact. Uh, I managed to keep it intact with like millimeters of clearance. So uh, I think the rollover capabilities of that are still pretty strong. But yes, uh, so, so with the rooftop weight, you're really limited. And so having that external roll cage, I bolt everything to that. And in fact, because I already butchered it, I welded tabs on it and I mounted my awning and, and my shower cube and my high lift jack and my traction boards. I just mounted everything right to the roll cage. Um, and then I put a little bit of uh, structure back in it to the body so it didn't wiggle by bolting it straight into the body as well. So um, it's solid, it's rigid, uh, it's wonderful. And yeah, I can carry a lot more load than I can on the roof. Uh, and now that the roof goes up, you're limited to a couple hundred pounds. So I'll have a solar panel up there and just some lightweight gear, but epic. I mean, just, just awesome. Just awesome. When you put the new top on the pop-up top, how do you seal it onto the existing sheet metal or aluminum in this case? With a million bolts. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to drill out a lot of rivets. I'd do a lot of bolts. I didnn't count, but I think there's 40 or something. And uh, uh, re-secured them. But I I used a layer of Sikaflex, uh, which is an adhesive. It's acrylic-based, I think, or or urethane-based. Sorry, it's urethane-based rather than silicone-based. It tends to adhere and last a lot longer, and that's what the factory uses. So um, I I used a, a, a good thick bead of that all the way around and then sealed the outside. I taped off the outside, scrubbed it real good. And then ran a bead all along the perimeter um, to seal it in. And it's been through a couple good rains and a couple good snow melts and uh, nothing so far. I had a little bit come into the passenger door, which was my fault uh, because I had moved the seal and not put it back. So I just put the seal back, the factory seal, and hasn't leaked since. It's uh, it's stellar, man. It's it's good. Yeah, it's on there good. <laughs> glued onto the roof it's there's no going back i i would say that there's going to be some uh some defender purists that are going to not approve but fuck it yeah <laughs> but, well they only made 500 of these and, and and they're pretty rare this one has been converted to a td5 it's been painted green the roll cage was painted black it was it was modified anyway yeah. and, and and in all of that the title got kind of screwed up so um, it's got a rebuilt title, uh, but it's, you know, it, it happens with these old trucks. Uh, it's pretty decent miles. Like I got it with 120,000. It's got about 135 now. So we've done about 15,000 over the years and uh, all mostly off-road. And, um, you know, so it was already kind of unoriginal, um, but but very much uh, specced the way most of us would like it. Yeah. So I just continued that. Uh, I thought, well, how am I going to, how am I going to get this vehicle that's been kind of molested back up into premium? And that was to do the unthinkable and do what no one has done. And, uh, and that's what I did. And I think it's pretty much top value now. Um, it, you know, I'm, I'm trying to trying to get my collection in a place. I don't want to say collection, but, but uh, trying to get the vehicles I, I've kept in a place of stability, because as we can discuss, you know, the market, it's starting to fluctuate again and uh, it's been a little nuts lately. And so I kind of got rid of the stuff that fluctuates and I, I'm trying to move into things that really kind of stay as stable as they can in the market. I definitely think that this being, being one of the true Land Rovers and not one of the Florida imports with all the, you know, diamond stitching and all the, you know, specter spec stuff mm-hmm. um, uh, that, that are going to fluctuate in the market. Uh, this one's real stable, and I think it's because it's such a rare spec and it's so beautifully done. I only use premium stuff, including OEM. Um, I'm really trying to keep the value secure so we can enjoy it. But it's also, you know, if I want to sell it, I can I can buy a house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and tell us about the trip you guys are going on. Oh, yeah. So we're doing the Arctic Circle. And originally, we were going to take the Gladiator just for comfort and convenience, because uh, it can be a very challenging trip. We're going to do it in July, uh, probably the best time of year, I think, uh, minus the mosquitoes. But um, but a lot of our sponsors uh, are tied around the Jeep. But we really, really wanted to take the Defender. And now that I have the build uh, pretty much well on its way, probably 75% done, 
um, <clears throat> just doing interior stuff now. Um, uh, we really wanted the best of both worlds. So after, uh, during SEMA, we met up with some friends of ours who we just adore and they're Jeep people. And they got so excited about the trip and they met the rest of the group who are mostly all Land Rover defenders. We're doing about eight or nine rigs and they're all pretty much defenders. So I didn't want to be the only Jeep. Uh, but they, they invited them on the trip and they're like, we can't take our rig. It's like, it's made for like, you know, off-road competitions and I said, well, this might work out perfectly. Why don't you take the Jeep? That mm-hmm. way we can fulfill our partnerships and, and then we can actually drive the one we really want to drive, which is the Defender. So, uh, so yeah, we're going to take both vehicles. And I'm really, really excited. I totally trust them. We're going to be hand in hand. And uh, they're far more experienced off-roaders than I am. And, uh, and, and, it's, and, and plus, we get to play with them on the trip. And, and we just love doing stuff with them and look for any opportunity to to, to team up, um, as couples and have some fun. So yeah, it's going to be a great, great trip. Really excited. And we're going with some experienced folks who have done it before and know the route. We're actually going to, uh, ferry up to a certain part in Alaska. Um, so we can save some time and then we can really spend three hard weeks exploring instead of just be lining it up, be lining back. You know, we, we really want to experience what it has to offer. You're driving the whole way or are you shipping the vehicles to a certain point and then picking them up there? We're, we're driving the whole way, but we're going to ferry uh, for three days going up into Alaska. Um, and, but, but we will be with the vehicles, So we'll be on a ferry with the vehicles for three days. So it's, it's, it's a partial ship situation, but that's only so we can have more time on the trail because some, some folks have a limited timeline. I think we're two or three weeks um, so, so three days to, to ferry it, but you're, bu- you're bypassing a huge segment and then we're going to drive it all the way around and all the way back and have more time to explore, you, you know, so sometimes these trips, you know, they can be so demanding, uh, for time that sometimes you just have to stay on the road and not enjoy what you, what you see around you. We want to enjoy it. So I think we'll be stopping a lot and, 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 and enjoying where we are, you know? How long's the whole trip planned for? I think we're blocked out for three weeks. Um, some may have to return and some of us may linger. Um, it depends how much we miss our dog. <laughs> <laughs> Pesto's not going? I thought Pesto could go. No. Uh, you know what? I-, I would totally bring him, but um, but we've decided not to simply because uh, I don't know that anyone's bringing dogs. And if they do, they're they're a different kind of dog. Pesto is a Frenchie. He does have a little more uh, demands, uh, and uh, I'm not sure he would enjoy the entire trip, even though he's pretty adventurous. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Plus, there's there's grizzly bears and things that just pick up little Frenchies and you know eat them in one bite. Yeah, <laughs> the truth is, is he's a little gassy, and you don't want to be in the car for three weeks with him. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. Uh, frankly, that was the reason I wasn't going to say it. You know, <laughs> how how long is the first leg, how long is the drive like from here all the way up north? So, so we're adding, uh, about, about five days, uh, onto the trip because we're going to drive from Tahoe and we're going to go, uh, out towards, uh, uh, Thunder Hill and then run into the Mendocino forest and take that all the way up the coast because we've always wanted to do that trip all the way to BC so, 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 uh, our base is out of Washington, the group's out of Washington. Um, and so Northwest Overland. So we're going to meet at, at, at Northwest Defenders. Did I get that right? Or Defenders Northwest. One of them's a, one of them's an attorney. <laughs> group. The other, the other's a land rover group. I'm going to screw it up. I'm sorry, Brian, I screwed it up, but, uh, we're going to meet up at Brian Hall's place and then, uh, with the rest of the group in Washington. So we're going to take, you know, three, four, five days, maybe, and just weave in and out of that coastline and forest uh, and enjoy a trip. Uh, uh, as, so, so Ken, Michelle Davis, and then my wife and I, Misha and I, are going to be in the two vehicles. And we're just going to weave up and enjoy our own trip and then meet up with the group. And off we go. So Okay. And then I don't want to jinx it, but what's the backup plan? <laughs> what's the Bring backup? Bring if, if, if the <laughs> Bring bears. Yeah. There's a Defenders, we're all going to have spares and, and divide the load. So, uh, yeah, basically, you know, d- d- that's the thing, too, is when you're, you know, people are like, take it under Rubicon. First of all, no, uh, it's going to 
destroy it because it doesn't have that kind of performance or clearance to do the Rubicon. A few have done it, but I'm not going to be one of them. Not interested. Uh, but the thing is, is, is that, you know, when you're doing any type of trip or expedition, you know, if you're with alike vehicles and you have alike problems, then you can share the parts and share the experience. If we're the only defender and something breaks, uh, we're pretty remote. It's going to be hard to fix, but we're going to be with defender uh, owners and experts. And we've all fiddled with stuff. We, we, we've all experienced it. Uh, all these rigs are pretty built out. So um, we have similar parts and we've all shared information and, and we'll share a parts list and we'll all bring what we have. And uh, like I said, we're, we're, we're leaving out of Brian's place in, in Washington. So he'll, he'll look over the vehicles and prep everything and, and we'll be fully serviced and ready to go. And the Jeep will probably be the most reliable one. <laughs> it will. I mean, honestly, it, like on one hand, it's like, well, the drive just from Tahoe to Washington is, you know, it's, I'm sure it's a nice drive, but nowhere near yeah. the adventure of what you guys want to do. But I think that's kind of a nice little opportunity to stretch the legs again on the, mm-hmm. on the Defender and go, well, if we can make it to Washington, we feel pretty good about doing the rest of this trip. But you know, yeah. at, at a higher speed on the freeway with all of your gear, at least that could arguably stress more of the vehicle than slow running off-road stuff, yeah. depending on how how the terrain so, is. Exactly. So, so the trip going to Washington will be on and off-road, uh, weaving in and out of the coastline, and in and out of the Mendocino Forest, uh, and, and that whole trek all the way up. Um, it's going to be low and slow uh, with, with, with pretty pretty nice dirt roads. Uh, Alaska is going to be a lot of washboard roads, you know, those real bumpy ones. It's going to be a lot of big potholes. It's going to be, you know, a, a, a lot of pretty damaged roads I could imagine. And so I've heard, so that's where you really shake and rattle everything loose. So I, I think Loctite, a lot of nuts and bolts, mm-hmm. spares, some extra rivets, something to drill them out with, um, you know, that kind of stuff is, is really w- what you're going to see. You're going to go through some bushings and brake pads. Brake pads r- shake loose on these things. Um, you know, bearings shake loose. Uh, everything shakes loose. So so the Jeep is probably going to really be unscathed, is, 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 uh, is my prediction. And all of us are going to be collecting each other's nuts and bolts. Whoever's in the back is going <laughs> to well, be weighted down with nuts and bolts. <laughs> I mean, it's not a bad idea to have a jeep or a couple of vehicles kind of modern and new yeah just so if somebody needs to do a parts run (laughs) you know you'd be able to at least it's always smart but matt i mean that's (laughs) that's also the adventure and and it's different than 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 with race cars and rally cars and and such this you know if you have a perfect trip it's just like oh how was it Eh, it was okay you know everything went well (laughs) yeah (laughs) and that's it you know but but when you don't have a perfect trip and you do have some challenges and you do have to adapt and overcome, that's where the adventure really begins. And, and it's, that, it's that opportunity to have teamwork and to have uh, creative problem solving and have those challenges. It, it, it's not that we invite those because nobody wants to deal with them. Right. But it's, it's, it's definitely the stuff that you build those memories of and how you overcame those and how it brought you closer as in a relationship or a community. Uh, or your vehicle, you know, uh, and, and it's, it's those moments of, of being proud that you fix something on the fly without parts. Um, and it, and it works throughout the whole trip. Uh, we, we fixed a buddy's truck on the Rubicon and literally, literally with bailing wire and, and, uh, and hose clamps, uh, a suspension component. And he made it all the way through the Rubicon and between the Rubicon and and my house, which is like, I don't know, 10 miles, 8 miles. I mean, it's windy, but it's nothing. That that fix broke like 11 times. And he was <laughs> stranded all night long back and forth trying to just get 10 feet more and before it broke again. But it lasted all through the Rubicon, which was a crazy thing. And then once it hit the, the, the road, it wouldn't hold. And and But it's like the fact that we got through the Rubicon with that crazy-ass fix um, still blows our mind and we still talk about it. Hello. So yeah. it, it, it's those things that, that really make adventure adventure, you know? Well, I mean, every time we go to the racetrack, <laughs> especially, you know, when we bring Adam Carolla's vintage cars out, there's always something oh. with those cars. Now, oh, most yeah. of the time we're like, do we want to fix it or do we want to just yeah. go get a beer? <laughs> and we're like, oh, let's just go get a beer. <laughs> Usually Sean well, ends and, up fixing it. But 
and, 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 and that's kind of what I meant without description is, is that, you know, you put, you put it back on the trailer. Sometimes you just, you just can't do it. It's a computer thing. You know, it's, it's not working. It's a yeah. fuel and whatever. And you have to put it back on the trailer. It's unfixable. And you take it home. We're out in the middle of nowhere. And all we have is ourselves, what we brought and the community that we're with to fix something and keep going or turn back if you have to, or go back to the nearest station or, or go to the next point. And, uh, and that can really be a daunting task. And, uh, there's plenty of people out there on YouTube who are doing all these adventures in life solo. And, uh, it's really exciting for all of us to see what happens and, and how they deal with it, how they emotionally deal with it, how they physically deal with it. Some of these folks don't even have mechanical sensibilities. You know, most of us are, are pretty seasoned. Um, so I, I think we'll be able to tackle pretty much anything in a timely manner, um, but, uh, yeah, th th that's what makes everything exciting. And we're going to document it. We've got lots of partners and sponsors and, and, uh, I, I think, I think GoPro might be on board with a little conversation. I'm already working with them. So, um, yeah, I, I think we'll have, uh, we'll have some stuff to show for it. <laughs> yeah. Listen, it's going to be good. It's going to be exciting. Are you going to, uh, are you going to document all of this on like Instagram or are you going to start? doing like youtube videos for it uh both probably so I, I i think just as far as the reels and and that whole system that's that's in demand right now I, I think we'll definitely do that uh reception's sketchy out there so we'll we'll do it in little blocks and bursts but uh on the side i think we're definitely going to document the whole thing and, and do either a, a film or a youtube series um documenting it um uh, it, it's a pretty road well traveled it's it's a pretty epic trip i think it's on a lot of people's bucket list um it definitely is ours so uh we're gonna do it and and uh there's another youtuber uh eva zubek i think is her name she just did it and her biggest criticism was that she didn't document anything like <laughs> it was just her personal vlog you know it was just like oh yeah here's me and my dog again and i'm cooking and it's beautiful um but people were like, did you even see what's, what's around you? And it's like, well, yes, of course. I just didn't put it on my YouTube channel because that's not what people want to see when they watch me. So we're going to do the opposite. Uh, it's not going to be about us making coffee and, you know, changing our clothes. It's going to be about uh, about our travels and our challenges and, and what the landscape is and, and all the things that hopefully people need to know if they're going to do the trip. They're, they're going to live through us and we're going to honor that. I'd also like to see, you know, a little, I don't know, profile on each of the other rigs. You know, let's mm -hmm. let's meet the team and Absolutely. get a little walkthrough. You know, it doesn't need to be 30 minutes per car, but, you know, get a few minutes on, on each vehicle so we can kind of see – I, almost like a little bit of a competition. Like I is <laughs> I, I want to see all the rigs, and then yeah. as you guys do this for several weeks, it'd be interesting to see what happened to the rigs, who made it alive yeah. <laughs> without yeah. issue. Uh, Absolutely, you know, it just it, because uh, you know it's it. I I would think a lot of other people that are building rigs or have rigs like this and planning trips, you never know what what works and what doesn't work until you get right. out there and thrash it. Correct. And if you get out there with a with a bunch of people and thrash it for the rest of us, <laughs> then let us know. You may come back and go, listen, we 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 got this particular part or this particular jack or this whatever, and it worked great. Or it was a disaster. It did not hold up. It did not do what it was supposed to do. You know? And and that's that's unfortunate. That's too bad. And maybe companies that, you know, are behind those need a little more feedback, but I, I am curious. I, I mean, we like in racing and in the street cars that we build, it's easy to, to magazine build a car and go, oh, all these parts look great. All these parts, you know, this looks great. I like this part. This looks good. But then you walk around and you talk to a bunch of people that run it and we're like, yeah, it, this didn't work with that. You know, this this Lego didn't connect with this big block. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's it's uh, what you say is absolutely true. And I've spent years researching and watching shows and watching other builds. And, and, uh, Ava did do that. Uh, she, she did a walk around with the other vehicles. And frankly, I thought those were the best episodes. And most of the people I follow, if, if you look at their, if, if their views, uh, 
most of their top views are walkarounds and 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 build videos and things like that. So um, thankfully, in the Land Rover community and even in the overlanding community, there's there's some heavy hitters that build systems. Um, and like the Gladiator has a pretty pretty uh, good system between Alucab and Goose Gear and and um, GP Factor that you really don't need much else. Um, they're proven. Their 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 builds all all uh, work together. And, uh, and, and there really isn't need to, to like, like you said, magazine shop and get one component here and one component there and hope they're compatible. The compatibility of front runner and goose gear and factor 55 and GP factor and, you know, and some of these other companies really work together that they're cohesive and that they're made for one another. And it, it's really neat because that's part of the overlanding vibe especially with the jeep builds the toyota builds and the land rover builds is uh you 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 only have to shop at a few places whether it's in stock or not is a whole other question yeah that's my goose gear my goose gear won't be here for you know six to eight weeks i mean it's like i'm jones and um but uh yeah it's it's uh it's exciting and this stuff is pretty proven uh on the defender i've tried to stick with a lot of those companies, uh, a front runner makes some great components. I've only had to modify some things because nothing's made for the cage. So with the roll cage, I have to change some, some modify some things for clearance and, and things. But uh, other than that, it, it's been pretty, pretty easy. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've got a little bit of time, so I guess you could, you could do a couple local things and, and make sure everything works and, and try it out for a weekend or something. Oh, it's cold as shit out there. I don't know if you want to go out right I was talking to a buddy of mine from Overland Bound who has a Camel Trophy truck, Dr. Chris. And he was like, hey, you know, what about if we go out the end of December? You know, we'll go out to like towards Bishop. And, and I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Because all I'm thinking is I've been dying to go on a trip with you because I'm dying to see your rig. Yeah. And then last night my wife goes, do you really want to go out to the Sierra Nevadas in the middle of winter? I'm like, oh shit, that's right. It's going to be cold. It's going to be cold. And <laughs> so so can... the rest of the night I'm tossing and turning going, should I go with the propane here? Like the Jeep or should I just hook up the diesel heater? Where am I going to put the diesel? So now I'm thinking I got to, I got to, I got to focus on putting the heater in, in the Defender next. I haven't done that yet. So it's a, it's a very important element. Of it is for for the winter version of this, but the summer version yeah. of this, I mean, why carry gear you don't need? Yeah, but the, like the heating systems are pretty permanent. Like like I have a temporary one that's basically a case, a briefcase, and I put it in the vehicle or hang it off the side of the vehicle and, and run a tube inside the vehicle. But that's what I have. That works great. It's it's diesel. Um, it's it's pretty proven and flawless. So I'll, I'll work that worst case scenario, but I'd like a permanent system. If, if I can find something, you know, that fits underneath the vehicle and I can box it in, in a little case and drill a couple holes with some vents and just kind of have some atmosphere. Um, that would be awesome because the heater in there doesn't work well. Okay. Here's the thing with Land Rover Defenders. Nothing works real well. Yeah. So <laughs> heater doesn't work well. The AC doesn't work well. You know, that stuff doesn't work well. So the headlights don't work well. Taillights don't work well. You know, uh, so the heater doesn't work well. And even on a long trip where it's freaking cold, uh, you can turn that on. The propane one, I don't think you can, but the diesel one you can run while driving. So I, I, I might, I might install that one permanently because it won't be in the vehicle. It will be under the vehicle enclosed in a box. So it doesn't take up any room. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot know, going on there. There is so much thought that goes into this stuff. And I don't want to compare it with racing because even though it's similar, it's apples and oranges. Um, it it, is. But there is so much thought that goes into this stuff um, because it is your livelihood. It is your safety. You know, you can hurt yourself out there by not doing it right. And, uh, and, and you know, we'll be with the group. It's not going to happen. But I'd like to be prepared. I'd like to be that guy. Um, you know, I, I've solved everything. I've resolved everything. I've, I've, I've proven and tested everything and, and, you know, we're experts in our fields and, uh, I'm, I'm definitely authentic and, and it's important. It's important to me. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be testing it and proving it through the winter. And by the time, uh, by the time we hit Washington, we should be pretty well sorted. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully you'll be sorted before even you, you leave for that trip, but you've got some time. <laughs> 
to... Yeah, well, better be, man. Yeah. Although I'm that guy, too. I'll just wing it a little bit, but <laughs> not that far. <laughs> That's just foolish. Um, all right. So what else is going on? What's going on is uh, I, I don't have the Mustang Mach 1 pack. So we, we – we, Still? Well – we work quickly to get that thing ready for the SEMA show. Yeah, looked amazing. Um, thank you. And you know, it's it's a new car. It wasn't scratch built. It wasn't like you know, it's not like we were building, you know, a Ring Brothers vehicle. It was. <laughs> I, I want to say it was mostly bolt on stuff, except many of the things that we put on it were put on for the first time. Yeah. So we. We're not quite there yet. Uh, I'm not worried about things like dialing in the audio system or whatever, right? It's going to sound fine, and you can do that on the fly. The twin turbo kit uh, that uh, Hellion developed for us, um, this was, you know, as we mentioned, this is a big deal for them. They did a lot of work with SEMA Garage to get SEMA tested, to get an emissions tested and, and passed, and and all of that, it still needs to be submitted. I think it's all submitted to the to EPA and CARB and whatever. But um, on, technically, it it passed, so it it should it just needs to be approved. And we'll see if the government's going to approve. And they don't like to approve anything that has to do with emissions. Uh, but uh, but well but, done, you guys. Well done. Yeah. You're giving them no reason other than someone having a bad day not to approve it. <laughs> right. That's basically what it is. So. Uh, and as we described, you know, we, we put the Steeda K member in there and it gives us a little more room around the engine compartment down low. And it, it's, it's designed, um, when you, when you buy the Hellion kit, it comes with the K member, uh, that Steeda modifies specifically for this kit. It has some different mounts and some things like that for the turbos and it works very well. And, and the turbo run at the bottom of the vehicle, which is so cool. Yeah. So like, the turbos are... The turbos are down low, and before – when I say that, it seems weird because you think, oh, the turbos are further away, and they should be close to the engine. It's just the opposite. They're as close to the engine as you could possibly get. If you open the hood of of, of a Mustang with a turbo kit on it or, or Grand National or, or whatever, right? Um, I, I'm not sure exactly all the piping on the Grand National, but you often have like – Typical V8, you've got your headers, and then for the turbo, the headers usually look like they're flipped upside down, right? So instead of mm-hmm. the exhaust pointing down, they point it up, and they they go around to, the, like, the front of the car, uh, you know, behind the headlights kind of area to either twin turbos or they use a Y-pipe to a single turbo. Um, and, you know, maybe it adds another, you know, foot or whatever of of tubing for, for each Easy. side to get to – and that's not the case what we did here. So – the rule with the emissions is you can't change the factory catalytic converters to different ones, and you can't change the location of those catalytic converters. The distance from the engine uh, and where they sit in the car cannot be changed. So the, so the turbo kit needed to be done – from the cats forward, from the cats toward the engine. That's the only space you have. So you can't change. Like if you pulled the engine out and the headers out and you left the exhaust in, what you see hanging there underneath your car next to the transmission and coming up at the end, that's the part you cannot change. So what Helion does is they make new headers that mount directly to a turbo that mounts directly to the catalytic converter in the stock location. And the only modifications that they do to that catalytic converter is they weld on V-bands, right? So that's it. They're not actually – that's not even on the cat. That's – I believe that's like just an inch forward of the cat. So so the turbos are as close to the headers – as possible, they're literally attached to the headers, a little like the McLaren. I think the first, the MP4 12C, maybe maybe the other cars are doing it too. They huh. basically cast the exhaust manifold and the turbo uh, all into one piece. Um, that's 
Sounds like an expensive maintenance nightmare if it, if it, if it cracks because <laughs> you've got to replace the entire turbo and, and exhaust manifold. But uh, ours is obviously multiple pieces. So we, we put it on. Um, we had a slight exhaust leak when we went to SEMA. I think when it was getting welded together, one of the V-bands uh, warped a little bit. And it wasn't flush. So we were able to, after SEMA, bring it back, uh, get it straightened out, get it fixed up, and it's fine. So it 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 fired up and pulled into the SEMA show floor. It just had a little bit of, a, of an exhaust leak. Brought that back, fixed it. <laughs> um, but there's something going on with the tune. So... Man, that's the, complicated the, stuff. The, the, the tune... Bernie. Yeah. It's the tune's throwing some codes and it's going into a fail safe mode and it's saying that there's a sensor uh below the intake manifold that's faulting and I, I don't think that's the case. Um it just so happened the guys at Galpin were were hosting some event uh with Ford corporate and a handful of the Ford engineers were there, some like award ceremony. I don't, they won like dealer of the year again for like 40 years in a row or 30 years in a row, whatever. They, it seems – I mean they, they just crush it all the time. And then the engineer guys being you know engineers and being a little nerdy and enthusiasts, they went over to Galpin. They looked at the museum. They looked at the car projects that they were working on and they noticed this brand-new Mach 1 with twin turbo kits on it up on the rack and they're like, oh, this thing is cool. And the guys at Gas had an opportunity to go, well, we've got some questions while you're here because – here, this is what's going on with the tune. It's throwing the codes and whatever. And there's this sensor. It's throwing a code on. They're like, it's not the sensor. They're like, it's the tune. And they're like, well, are you sure? Because we can replace the sensor. And like, it's not the sensor. It's the tune. <laughs> and uh, they felt very confident about that. So we spent another week on um, resetting the PCM and a couple of other things and trying the tune again. And it wasn't working. I'm not exactly sure why, but we figured, ah, let's jump in and replace the sensor anyway. Sure enough, Ford was right. It's not the sensors. So, so. Oh, I thought that was going to be happy ending. <laughs> no. What, what I don't like is uh, sometimes you don't have a choice in this manner when you're doing something custom. But I hate throwing parts at a problem until it goes away. Yeah. You know, and, and we've all done it, right? We've all done yeah. it. We've all just we're chasing after some gremlin somewhere and you're throwing parts after it to see if it goes away and not really knowing. And and oftentimes only at the dealer or the OE level can you avoid doing that because of their experience and their diagnostic tools and whatever. Um that wasn't quite what we were doing. Maybe in the case of this sensor, that's what we did, but uh it still hasn't been resolved. So we need to go back to the drawing board to the original tuner. I believe Helion works with HP tuners on this, and they have an incredible amount of experience doing this kind of stuff. And I think at this point they've tuned many Mach 1s. So I'm not sure there's a, a huge issue with their ability to tune. I just think something was overlooked or something in the the ECU of of my car is throwing off something. We know some sometimes these sensors are just current. And if you change the current in any way, shape, or form or the insulation around the current, uh it it, it throws a code. Uh, some of these things are so sensitive. So I don't know what kind of sensor it is, but uh man, I, I know up here with batteries, all the German cars hate the cold and the second winter comes along and the batteries start to get a little lower um they start throwing codes like crazy just random stuff and it's really really annoying well here's the thing is it the car basically doesn't want to do anything when it has the tune in it uh but when we keep loading the stock tune back into it it's fine Hmm. and the car fires up and it moves under its own power, and it doesn't go into any fail-safe mode. But 
with the stock tune, it doesn't know there's turbos on there, so you can't right. do anything, right? You can't hit the throttle at all. You can't, you know, we don't even want to drive it down the street or anything like that. All we've done is roll it on and off a trailer and into the SEMA show floor, you know, or into a garage. It's It's been five miles an hour. Basically. Oh, that's right. Um, so, so I don't think it's anything to do with the sensors because with the stock tune, all the problems go away and it works. So, so it's yeah. the tune. Uh, the newer cars are interesting because the newer cars are better at being consistent from car to car to car. It wasn't that long ago, you know, in the nineties that the computers were, I don't know, they seem to be a little bit more hit or miss. <laughs> I can only really speak for, you know, the experience that I've had, but you know, again, back in the early to mid nineties, all the myself and all of our friends that were running Fox body Mustangs, some of these guys were buying brand new cars and we didn't, we weren't doing the dinos a lot. That wasn't not, it wasn't like dino shops were everywhere. Kind of like they are now. Um, but, but right off the showroom floor, some cars just felt faster than other cars. Yeah, and, it's true. Really true. Yeah. And I, this has been a thing, especially back in the day where, you know, at one point people were stacking up factory ECUs, like just had a, on the shelf, you know, all these, these cars. And, uh, you know, a friend of mine, my, my 93 Cobra ran fine. My brother had an 89 Mustang convertible that we built, cams, heads, Vortex supercharger. That car was fast, but that car was always fast. And a friend of mine had a had a convertible, and that car was never fast. And we did intake manifolds on it. We've done headers on it. We've done a few things on it. It was like that car was never fast. And we – Try to chip at that point, which is more complicated. You don't really flash the computer like that. You you take the ECU out, you try it, and it just seemed like that car was never really that fast. But you pull the ECU out of that car and put in somebody else's ECU, and that car was fast. Interesting, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and and I wow. I don't know what the dyno numbers were, um, and maybe it just was like throttle response and 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 stuff like that which is funny cuz now the new cars that we drive we control all that shit on the fly right like i can i even the the electric vehicle my f150 lightning the electric truck i can get into it and hit sport mode it's not like it's adding yeah. horsepower <laughs> or anything it just makes the throttle more sensitive and makes it more fun yeah. to drive right yeah, go yeah. get get anything you dr- jump into a new a Porsche 911 you got your sport your sport plus mode um, yeah. Uh, you know, all the different modes. So I, it, bef- maybe that's all that was happening with one of these computers, right? Uh, but I just think on the modern cars, they're, they're not as random. So there could be something with maybe like the amount of cars they built – I don't know, during that week or during that month or the ECUs that Ford maybe had purchased from a vendor, um, you know, maybe there's a hundred of them or a thousand of them that are, you know, that were on a shelf that were put in cars over a certain amount of time that uh, a slight difference. They probably all passed the same tests, right? Because all the tests revolve around running the engine stock. And then I, I guess uh, all we can do is load the performance tune in there, data log the issues that it's it has, and then go back and yeah. back to HP tuners and go, hey, what can we do here? What are you seeing that's different? Can you bring up two, three, or four of your other Mach 1 tunes that you've done and see where the anomaly is, right? Uh, and can we fix it? It might have to be like – for lack of a better term, hand fixed, you know, like, cause they're going to say, oh, oh yeah. we've got five Mach ones. They've all run the same tune. They're all fast. Then I go, great. Now look at mine and see where the disparity is. And then, yeah, you know, we- I, I, I was just going to say that it's, it's the old unplug the spark plug one at a time to see, you know, if, if the engine starts missing, uh, Oh, th- that's the one that's out. <laughs> Nothing changed. Um, 
a, a process of elimination. Are, are there quadrants, you know, you can take off the stock tune and just start affecting each quadrant one by one generally uh, and see where, where it codes? Uh, or are, are you just going to replace the ECU? Yeah, well, so that's the question. So, I mean, look, there's there's a couple of, I don't want to say bad tuners. There's some inexperienced tuners out there right. that they jump to to make a tune work. They end up shutting off a lot of things in in the programming, right? They're like, oh, check engine light's going to get thrown if you do this type of tune. We're just going to shut that off, you know, yeah. or we're going to shut this off. Or we're going to shut this off. Or we're going to tell this sensor not to read under a certain condition or a certain RPM or whatever. So they just shut things off. And the best tuners are the ones that tune for all of those conditions, right? And it takes Mm -hmm. a hell of a lot of time to sit there and go, well, now we got the engine to respond to this big horsepower, but how are we making sure everything else works, right? And these computers can start to control more and more and more things. You know, even even back in the day, I, it's funny because uh, I think you know Ray, Ray McClellan, Full, full Throttle mm-hmm. Customs, right? He's a great guy. He's a great tuner. I haven't called him about this issue yet. But, you know, I have my 93 Mustang Cobra, which is not an easy thing to tune. It's not OBD2. You can't really, like, plug in a, a scan tool and just flash it and you're fine. You're on the road. It it needs a little more of a work. You have to, like, hardwire a tune into it. You program it on your dyno and you you flash the computer. And I was telling him, I was like, you know, I got this 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 engine's built up. I got heads, got a cam. You know, it's got to have a blower on it. It needs a map sensor. And then we're going to dial in a boost and octane. I said, you know, I could just go and get uh, an aftermarket EFI system, you know, Holly or something. And he's like, those systems are great. They work well. But they're all pretty much designed to be easy to program and in some cases self-learning. So a lot of us and tuners can can get that to work pretty quickly. But he told me, he's like, it's basically – once you load it up, you have about, I don't know, 15 or 20 parameters that you can address. And you can get that thing in in an aftermarket EFI system, and you can run it pretty good. But the factory computer has like a 1,000 parameters in it, Oof. you know, yeah. or or some hundreds of, of parameters. And right. what he's saying is, is like, he's like, yes, I know everyone thinks that that, you know, that Fox Body Mustang computer uh, is shit. He goes, but he's done so many of them over 30 years. He's like, I can get more control over your car because I can change 300 different parameters, you know, based off of his experience and his files that he has and what this car may need. Now, again, I I went from the 2021 Mustang Mach 1 to, you know, a Fox body computer, but – this is the same same thought process is maybe we need to dig into this tune a little bit more and start looking at beyond the 15 or 20 parameters needed to get the turbo to work and then see if there's another 30, 40, 50 parameters that this ECU is taking control of that needs to be dialed in to really make these cars drive as smoothly as the factory car. You know? Yes. Art tuning those things. I mean, it is so involved. Wow. I mean, talk about an art and a science to it. Like, you know, this is, this is the definition of that. You've really got to know what you're doing. And then the artistic part, I think comes with the experience. You've got to know a lot about what, what these engines need and what works and what doesn't work. And that's why, um, when you get the first turbo kit built for this car, you're going to go through a few of these issues. So that Absolutely. being said, uh, I, I talked to John Uris from Hellion several times. We text back and forth. Um, he's got some ideas. He's reaching out to HB tuners. Um, these guys all have a lot of experience. Uh, they're super confident. Uh, we're going to get it dialed in and it's going to work great. And it's going to be fast as hell because he's like, <laughs> he's like, but wait Most till you drive it. I was like, I haven't driven it yet. It's been weeks since even I haven't oh, driven it. He's like, wait God. till you drive it. It's so fast. 
uh, going crazy. Yeah. Going crazy. Uh, and I, I think they've, <laughs> I think they've tuned about maybe five or six Mach ones now with various modifications. Uh, so they, they, you know, they continue to get more experience. So listen, this may be even a thing where, it's yeah, it's, it's funny because all these new cars have over the air updates, right? So yeah. th- this could be a thing where, Hey, I, I run the tune for, you know, a few months and put some miles on the car, take some notes and send it back and go, I, I I'm finding like a little bit of pulsating here, or it feels a little rich here, or, or I could, you know, whatever, you know, like it, you know, or maybe it's running out of injector or maybe it's, you know, uh, you know, just a, a few little comments on drivability that maybe we can refine, you know, six months from now. Yeah. i just blame it on the ethanol. That's it. That's all I'm going to I'm blaming <laughs> on our shitty gas. It's like every, I, I, what I should be doing is I should be finding a decent quality gas station, Shell or Chevron, whatever. And for the several months of driving the the Mach 1, make sure I go to the same gas station, get the same 91 octane. And if I throw a little octane booster or boostane or something in there, make sure I'm consistent with it, you know, for the next four, five tankfuls. Absolutely. But don't forget, temperature has stuff to do with that, too. It does, um, but for the next couple of months, it's all going to be 60 yeah. degrees outside, and I'm going to yeah. drive it during the day, right? Yeah. I mean, where I live and where you live are totally yeah, different. I was say. Yeah. We're only a we few only hours fill apart. We only two o'clock on a Wednesday. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, and, and that's, you know, although that even might be an interesting point, like maybe also like how – how precise should I do it? Should I be like, I'm filling up Wednesdays at the same gas station, yeah, you know, yeah, not yeah. Friday in the morning, in yeah. the morning and yeah. the morning. I don't know. Like it would, I should ask him, when does your tanker come by? I want the freshest stuff, you know, just, yeah. uh, I just want consistency. Yeah. You know? uh, but anyway, that's a, uh, that's kind of the thought on it. Um, you don't want Sandy bottom gas. <laughs> no, I mean, look, I, I don't know. The car's got, I, maybe it's got, 2000 miles, 2100 miles on it. It's still it's new. The car's still new. Yeah, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I hope you get it resolved quickly and and soon so you can drive it, enjoy it and uh people can figure out some issues <laughs> moving on. I mean, we we've driven the the new GT500, you know, supercharged 760 horsepower, you know. Uh and as cool as that car is, and as good as that DCT is, I did the Mach 1 with the turbos because I was like, oh, what if I can do a GT500 with a manual transmission? And that's it because you can't get a GT500 with a manual. Right. The Mach 1 has the manual, and we're going to be about the same horsepower level, even different type of horsepower. We got the supercharged versus the turbos and a little bit different torque curves and, you know, how it comes on down low and, and so much of that GT 500 is in the programming. Uh, we went out to, uh, Adam and I went out to a couple of years ago, two years ago or something, went out to, uh, speed Vegas and got an opportunity to hit their track in a few different cars. I think I drove the Ferrari and the GT three. Um, Adam drove the Ferrari and I said, Adam, drive the GT500. I go, I, I know it's not really your cup of tea, but this car is so good. Uh, front engine, V8, you know, it's it's probably closer to some of the vintage racing cars that you drive than the things like the Ferrari or the GT3. You know, other than it's 935 Porsches. Obviously, that's Porsche, Porsche. But it's, but it's front engine, you know, turbo cars, you know, the big 2 plus 2Z right, cars, right. the Oldsmobiles. Uh drive it and see how you like it. And uh, he did, and he was fast, and he liked it. Um, was a little surprised on its level of performance, but Speed Vegas is basically right down the street. They're like next door to Shelby American. Mm-hmm. So Shelby American comes over and uses their track, and their some of their engineers use their their track to just stretch their legs a little bit. So they hooked up the guys at Speed Vegas and they said, well, all we did was a tune on your car. 
And they said, but it's not just an engine tune. We really worked on the calibrations for the DCT, for that transmission. And uh, and I think they put exhaust on it to make it louder. So it's 760 stock. I think the car they run at the track is like 800 horsepower. But they did talk about how much faster that car is around the track with just dialing in the programming on that transmission. I think it's faster in the full automatic mode than it is in any manual mode because in manual mode, you take the tune away, right, from the transmission and you put it in your hands and and they've got that thing. I I don't want to say they got it calibrated specifically for that track, but they probably got it calibrated for that track. And uh, and so that car – is significantly faster than a stock GT500 on that track. Again, all we're talking about is tuning, just getting tuning and calibrations yeah. right. Everything you know, needs to. Yeah. Whether it's you know whether it's transmission controls or engine controls or or whatever. So um, anyway, that's my rant about tuning. We're gonna wrap things up. <laughs> uh, uh, that's like that's why I like old cars, Max. It's all about the shoes. See, if, if you wear narrow shoes and the Mini Coopers. And you stand on the brake, you don't hit the gas pedal. Yeah. But if you standard shoes, then you do. So it's all about the shoes. <laughs> it, 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 I I get that for sure. I get that for sure. There's several of the old cars where you're like, oh, the clutch is so heavy, you have to wear a boot. But the gas, yeah. the throttle, so close together, your right foot has to be barefoot. <laughs> so you have one big heavy boot and one barefoot <laughs> foot to drive oh, it. Oh yeah, yeah. I wear two different shoes. Did I mention that? Yeah. yeah <laughs> We're a hard di- sole on my left. A soft soul, am I right? <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's funny you say that. I know we're going to wrap things up, but I, I never noticed this before. But I, when I drive, I do something with my right foot where I think I drive close to the brake and I just set my foot, the edge, yep. the outer edge of my right foot yep. on the throttle. Yep. And uh, because – Recently, I don't know, the past few months, I noticed I've been wearing just like sneakers, like running sneakers. Um, And it's a softer like foam lip, edge, right, around Uh the shoe. And on two pairs of my shoes, the outside right foot, it's, it's, it's chipping away on the shoe. Right, it's it's uh, it's not. Are you sure getting caught underneath the gas pedal? I don't think so. And I realize that a lot of my other shoes, like the Noble shoes or whatever, uh, that's got a harder rubber sole around the whole thing. It doesn't really wear that way. The soft, yeah. the soft sneakers. I noticed it on like three three of my shoes. And, Interesting. Uh, and time, and, time to put a video camera down there. And it and it, and it looks like. It's funny because it's not like rubbing away smooth. It looks like a rat chewed at it. So it's it's <laughs> it's got like little pieces missing out of it. So I'm doing something with I. It, it has to be while I'm driving. I can't think of anything else that I'm doing with my foot that's wearing that around. And it never really happened um, because I would normally not drive my car with like like trainers on. You know, I just normally right. wouldn't. I would just switch shoes. And then, but the past few months, the schedule changed. And I think it all started with the pandemic where like, I'm not putting pants on anymore. I'm just going to wear sweatpants <laughs> or shorts for two years and my, and my workout shoes. <laughs> and then, oh, you know, coming man. here to the studio and running errands and stuff, I, I saw it. it I kind of want to even just like put a camera in the car for, you know, do it. for an do hour it. and, and just see like what's going on with. Do it. With, Resolve the mystery. Well, if you look at most good driving shoes, the right foot's wider than the left foot for that very reason. Yeah, and and that sole like wraps up higher, like toward the, the mm-hmm. side of the foot. Yeah. So it stands yep. to reason. I'm not saying I'm doing a lot of heel toe, but I I think I'm my foot's always kind of in that position to to yep. to do it right. Because you're a real, you're a real car guy, man. Or, That's all it, or it boils just, down to. You're a real car guy. Or, I, or my feet are <laughs> fucked up. I don't know. <laughs> no, my feet are fucked up because I always wear driving shoes. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, yeah. Uh, maybe you should wear a sneaker and see if you notice anything after a few weeks. Uh, I wore hiking boots yesterday because I won't be driving the minis or the Morgan, so I know I won't need to change my shoes when I get to the shop. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know, I it's just... To- 
bender. <laughs> well, so, so now I'm starting to think of how I'm going to, how am I going to modify my shoes so they don't wear out as quickly? <laughs> I have to be, might have to start designing shoes. I, I know a guy, Matt. I know a guy. Yeah. I know a guy. Um, um, but no, no, I, I didn't say thank you for having me on earlier. I meant to do that, but uh, thank you for having me on. I love doing this show with you and uh, I always have fun. It's, it's a little bit, it's like the same thing, but it feels differently when, when we do your show as opposed to Shift and Steer. I, I don't know why, but yeah, yeah, I don't oh, wait, have Brad Jones. in a fancy studio and have a producer. Oh, yeah, there yeah. There's uh, oh, Chris is here now. <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. that's what it Chris, is. That's what it is. <laughs> Chris didn't say that when Ben was standing in there, but now that Chris is standing in there, he's like, it's definitely the producer. Hey, yeah, there's the difference. I feel we feel How the magic go, now. Hey, Aaron, good to see you, buddy. <laughs> giving you some love. Giving you some love. Um, all right, we're gonna wrap things up. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, Aaron, we're going to have you back on again. We're going to get into more. Definitely uh, uh, later next year when you get back from the trip. I I think we have many more episodes between now and then. So um, I'll I'll see you Friday for Shift and Steer then. I'll see you Friday. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Until next time, keep the air in the spare and the bag in the wheel. For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit CarCastShow.com. own do you rent your home sure you do and it can be hard work you know it's easy bundling your policies with geico geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy it's a good thing too because you have so much to do already around your home why not make it easy go to geico.com get a quote and see just how much you could save it's geico easy visit geico.com today that's geico.com all month long on Pluto TV, stream the biggest Tyler Perry movies free. Watch your favorites like Medea's Witness Protection and Medea's Big Happy Family. Join Tyler Perry as he goes on a couples retreat with Sharon Leal in Why Did I Get Married? Or Idris Elba and Gabrielle Union in the Tyler Perry directed film Daddy's Little Girls. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of channels with thousands more movies and TV shows available on live and on demand. Download the free Pluto TV app on all your favorite devices and start streaming now. Pluto TV. Drop in, watch free.